Back empowers you to get it together with a single digital wallet. Use Back to aggregate, convert, send, and spend digital assets like crypto, loyalty and rewards points, and gift cards. Get started by downloading the Back app today and treat your digital assets just like cash. And I also want to give a shout out to Kraken. With Kraken, the cryptocurrency exchange, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or even earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit Kraken.com now to learn more. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to what is a very unique episode of The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. And it's unique, not, not just because I'm going up against two uh, respective titans of their industry, but because we're kind of looking at things from an intersectional perspective. We're looking at the crypto world, the options brokerage world through the same lens. And we have two very interesting folks joining us from those worlds, Tom Sosnoff and Ed Woodford of, well, formerly SeedCX, now Zero Hash, and Tasty Trade. Tom, so excited to have you on the show. Ed, super excited to have you on the show. What, what's super cool about this episode is we have the perspective of someone in Tom who's been in the brokerage industry for many, many years. We won't say how many exactly, but... You sold a company in 2009 that was Thinkorswim to TD Ameritrade, and then you done and did it again with Tasty Trade in a billion-dollar deal. I think it was announced within the last, we'll say, year, but might have been sooner than that or more recent than that. And then we have Ed Woodford, who obviously has been innovating in the crypto space and originally started as, out as an exchange, but is now working in settlement and sort of as the back end of many upstart crypto brokerage platforms. So they kind of have their eyes and hands and everything across many different sections. And of course, uh, Zero Hash is powering the crypto functionality of Tasty Trade. And so there's many different angles we can get into here. The crypto and options markets have never been more robust. They've never been more interesting Tom, we'll start with you since you've been operating in the brokerage world for so long. What's interesting and unique about this market, especially from the retail perspective, right? Everyone who's opining on markets right now is talking about how retail is driving things in a way they've never had before. How true is that? Very true. We just went through uh, what I think is a, a huge transformational moment, you know, with the whole GameStop and uh, a crazy, you know, little explosion we had a couple of weeks ago, but and the meltdown in the industry. But I think that this has been, it's been a movement that has been a long time coming. We've been, we've been promoting the the active investor, and we've been promoting moving from passive to active for two decades. We just weren't, we weren't good enough to make, you know, we were good, but we weren't good enough to make the um, to really convert the tens of millions of people that took a bunch of different firms. And I think at this point now the movement has gotten to the point where it is not going to ever reverse. And you're seeing right now just kind of the tip of the iceberg of, 
you know, the transition from people using other people to manage their money to being to starting to take over their own finances. They really we're going through a transformational period that is going to be exceptionally valuable for many decades to come. It's here to stay. But what what sort of kicked it off? Is it this weird pandemic environment? No, it's been going on. It's been going on slowly, but it's been going on for two decades, really since the early 2000s. And but what has what has really generated and accelerated it is a combination of factors. It's a combination of a 12-year bull market. It's a combination of alternative assets like Bitcoin hitting the marketplace. It's a combination of um, a brokerage firm like Robinhood kind of opening up the markets to a lot of people that normally wouldn't have become engaged. And then it's it's also two last factors, which are great front-end technology for retail investors and also um, uh, and also amazing content. And so you throw it all together, and what you have is kind of the new age of you know, personal finance, self-directed investing. It's not, it's not really a revolution in financial literacy. It's a, it's essentially a revolution in engagement. And that's generated. It's a revolution in engagement. You know, did the pandemic have something to do with it? Of course it did. You know, has that been good for the business? Yes, of course. But it was happening anyway. Mm-hmm. I want to bring Ed in. Um, you have brokerage businesses like Tasty Trade. Like Robinhood, I mean, if you look at the payment for order flow numbers coming out of Robinhood, it's it's mind-boggling. The amount of trades they're making and the amount of money and the amount of money they're bringing in because of it is astronomical. So, why does a business, you know, we can we can look at Tasty Trade as a use case, but brokerages overall, why do they need or why should they bring in this crypto element? We can maybe start with you, Ed, and then bring it to Tom. But it seems like a trend that's happening, right? Brokerages are doing really well, and now they're looking to to add crypto. But why? Yeah, no, for, for sure. And just at, at a high level, ZeroHash essentially enables any brokerage firm or, for example, any neobank to launch digital assets without the need to build out complex tech and without the need to be directly regulated as a money transmitter. Um, and so we essentially provide the infrastructure to enable any brokerage firm with existing clients to launch crypto side by side and trade Bitcoin with the same dollar that they may, for example, want to buy a stock of Apple. In terms of why people are interested, I mean, there's definitely been a big shift in the last 12 months in terms of, uh, you know, people's interest in the digital asset space. So you're seeing more customer demand, demands it from brokerages. I also think, for example, a number of our clients um, you know, clients such as Tastyworks and TradeStation, um, you know, it, it creates a sense of their competitors needing to look at at the space. Um, you know, clients are saying, if you don't have it, I will go somewhere else. And, and, you know, I think there is also the economics, and Tom can talk a little bit more about the economics of crypto versus, um, versus traditional stocks, but the economics in digital assets for broke dealers are pretty compelling. So although it may not be of the same notional volume of stocks, um, the amount of money that you can make, make in each trade uh, is, is definitely attractive. So I would say in the next 12 months, I would be very surprised if you know eight out of the top 10 broker dealers in the United States do not offer crypto assets by the end of this year. And obviously we have some <laughs> inside information into, into that. So I'm pretty confident in that statement. So Tom, let's kick it to you. 
I'm really curious about the thinking behind Tasty Trade as a platform probably was doing really, really well without crypto, but why the addition of that feature? What was the thinking behind that? Well, I mean, it, why not? I mean, why wouldn't we offer everything that we could? You know, listen, our, our job, Frank, is to, um, I, I view our role, the best brokerage, I think we're the best brokerage. T- Tasty Works, by the way, is our brokerage. Tasty Trade is our is our network. And I view Tasty Works as the best brokerage firm in America. And the reason I do that is because I view our role as one which is to facilitate opportunity. So if you are our customer, okay, and I'm facilitating opportunity, why wouldn't I offer you everything that I could? And, and if, if you, if there's a demand for it and I can offer it, why wouldn't I? I'm not scared of the risk. It's a, it's a cash product. I mean, I couldn't care. The risk is nothing. There's no leverage. There's no, there's no shorting. There's nothing. The risk is the risk, the risk to the firm is nil. So, I mean, why wouldn't I offer if I believe that the product is real? And I also have done a lot of research on alternative assets and digital assets. And one of the things that we know is not whether or not they're cheap or expensive, but one of the things we know is they're not correlated to other investments. So I have here I have a beautiful non-correlated alternative investment that I can offer in a cash market to our customers, hundreds of thousands of customers, and and they want it. Why wouldn't I offer it? I think the firms that aren't offering it right now, which would be every single major firm, um, they haven't gotten to it yet because they're nervous about, you know, they're nervous about their own compliance teams, their own risk teams are nervous about it. I mean, they're all going to offer it, but um, I think at this point they either don't understand it, they don't want, they don't, they believe there's some kind of maybe regulatory risk or something like that, but I don't really know, and and they usually wait for somebody else to blaze the trail. That's always us. I mean, we introduced options to retail customers 20 years ago for the most part, and now we're introducing, you know, digital assets. I mean, somebody has to be the leader. It usually falls on a small, innovative firm like us, and that's who we are. Mm -hmm. And since Tastyworks has began offering crypto digital assets through uh, Zero Hash, what, what does that activity look like? It's been amazing. It's been, it's probably been five, to 10x what we thought it was going to be um, initially. Now, you know, it's 24-7, which is nice, but the amount of activity has been very, um, has been very bold. It's been rich. It's, you know, it's still our, you know, if we looked at all the different assets that we offer, I mean, it'll be the lowest, you know, the, the smallest traded asset that we have, asset class, behind, you know, options and futures and options on futures and, and stocks and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, for, for a product that's a month old on our platform, I mean, it's really, it's exceeded our expectations and in a really good way too. People are super excited to have more options, you know, to have more um, uh, principal options. And, um, you know, we were nervous that without leverage, without being able to short, it wouldn't be that successful. And it's been quite the opposite. Tastyworks as a platform is kind of built, right, for folks who are more active or frequently trading these more complex financial instruments. Yes. And if you look at the backdrop of this market, at least since the beginning of the year, but I mean, I think it even spills over into uh, the previous year. We've seen a number of outages, a number of platforms that have not been able to keep up with the surge in volumes. Um, I think this is 
something that's kind of a cross-asset problem. You know, if you look at crypto circa 2017, you know, you didn't go a single day without a platform being out. Today, that's the problem in equities across the different brokers, Robinhood and Fidelity, et cetera. This is something that I think both of you will have perspectives on. But how do you, in this environment, operate a platform that can keep up with this new surge in retail interest that spans uh, both crypto and traditional assets? I mean, you build good technology. The answer is simple. You build good technology. I mean, you know, Tastyworks is the first platform in the world for retail investors on high-frequency middleware. So we've cut out, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of lines of code that that would have existed before in legacy platforms on stuff that we've built in the past. And in order to make the platform, you know, lightning fast and much thinner, much lighter, and actually the technology today is capable of so much more. When we built you know, Thinkorswim 21 years ago, our first offering of Thinkorswim could support about, you know, 250,000 quotes, uh, uh, you know, a second type of thing. And now we're supporting, you know, now we're supporting almost 25 million. You know, I mean, the, the numbers are just, you know, staggering. And the amount of order flow, you know, originally, maybe we could, maybe we could rush through, I don't know, between 20 and 60 orders, a, you know, a second. And now we're, you know, up to, you know, 10,000. So, I mean, it's just, it's the nature of the technology, the size of the pipes, the capability of, of us, you know, what we're able to do technology-wise in 2021, um, it, it's massive. I, I don't think that, I don't think technology is the problem at all. I think there's a lot of legacy platforms that have issues because they just, they're just old. But, you know, on the new platforms, it's not an issue. I think for us, it's, it's somewhat an element of, of focus, right? Um, so we, for example, focused a lot on scalability um, as opposed to listing a ton of new assets. So you're, you're making different trade-offs at, at, at points. Um, and, you know, I think that put us in good stead. I mean, we still today support about 50 different assets, um, but we're not supporting hundreds. And so we made a very conscious effort to do that. Uh, we've been fortunate that our tech has been very, very stable. Um, we've invested in it, as Tom said. You know, I think these are solvable, um, solvable problems. Something about Tastyworks' DNA is this idea of something that's, that's, you know, an underpinning of the crypto market, which is do your own research, do your own um, trading, get out there, learn the market, and, and, and make bets. Have you found that most of the clientele of the platform have been drawn to crypto? What sort of the engagement betwixt the twain? Uh, at this point, the engagement in crypto, it, it looks to be, you know, in the neighborhood of 10 to 15%. And we're hoping to get it up to, you know, 20% would be a good number for us. You know, so it's exciting. I mean, that's a very, that's a big number. When we introduce something new, that's a big number. You know, if we could get 10% to 20% of our customer base, that's pretty exciting for us. And in terms of like, the monetization of those two audiences or or customer bases is probably the better descriptor. How do you sort of profit is kind of an overly capitalistic way of putting it, but how do you profit, profit on the crypto folks relative to the folks in traditional options? What are the differences there? 
Um, crypto is commission-based for us. I mean, any, any firm can do whatever they'd like to do. Uh, we use a straight commission with a $10 cap. So what we've done basically is um, we're very similar to like Robinhood or Coinbase, um, which everybody essentially in the industry charges about 1% of Notional. The only difference for us is that we decided that we would do something special for our customers. So we capped it at um at $10. So the most you can spend on any commission at Tastyworks on crypto is $10. So um, for traders that want to trade slightly bigger size, it's the best, you know, the best deal on the street. So we charge 1% of Notional with a $10 cap. So in terms of like the way you kind of described it was as a no brainer in a sense. And so when we look at how the brokerage world moves forward. Um, you know, we, we've reported on Charles Schwab being interested. There are other people probably interested. Is crypto just going to be another me too element, you know, a, a, a feature that needs to be there for any brokerage? And then we can maybe talk about like how firms differentiate. But I, I, I think if you, if you look at the immediate future of the space, this is kind of the next point of adoption. Listen, it really depends on who you're talking to. Like, you know, there are firms out there, like, I'll give you an example, like Fidelity, which doesn't offer futures to its retail customers. To me, futures are the, you know, they make up, they make up the largest leverage portion of the marketplace and they drive virtually every single market as the leader. To not offer futures is like a casino not saying I'm going to offer blackjack or craps. And so I don't understand how brokerage firms can, can actually run without offering futures. Now, all the other firm, all the other major firms do, but I'm going to say the same thing about crypto. If it's out there and it's easy to facilitate the fact that you're not offering it, you are not, you are not facilitating opportunity to the level that you should be. You have a responsibility. If you're going to run a brokerage firm, you have a responsibility to build great technology and to offer all products to all people, regardless of account size or anything else. You, you don't. You have no right to play God in that sense. I, I understand it's your job to manage risk, but it's not your job to decide what people should trade and how they should trade it. And we take the approach that we're completely indifferent to product, and and um, and we're open to whatever you want to do. That's like we don't care if it's an IRA account. We don't care if it's you know a regular margin account. We don't care what kind of account it is. We don't care what the size of your account is. Everybody gets to do whatever they want to do, regardless of the amount of capital they have in any marketplace that, that we can access. That is the way the business should be run. But I'm sure there's some impediments, there's some overhang, whether it's regulatory or technical, and that's maybe where you bring in like a third party to sort of carry that cross. But how does that decision-making process work? And then how do you... Well, we did bring in, that's why we use ZeroHash. I mean, that's why, you know, I mean, exactly the reason that Edward... Is, and Edward is, you know, and, and Tasty and Edward and Zero Hash are partners now is because that's their job. Just like, you know, we use Citadel to execute and Citadel and eight other firms to execute order flow, just like we use, you know, 30 different exchanges when it's all said and done. I mean, everybody's got a role in this business. We, we are a front end facilitator, meaning I don't want to write to 20 or 30 different exchanges. I don't want to write to lots of different um, market makers in the Bitcoin space, in the digital asset space. You know, I would rather pay a firm like ZeroHash to do all that work for us and then let us focus on the front end, the front end, uh, the relationship between the customer, the front end. You know, what's cool about Tastyworks is that from a single platform, 
somebody that wants to trade digital assets can trade digital assets side by side with stock options, futures and futures options. So you don't have to worry about moving money. You don't have to worry about passwords. You don't have to worry about anything. Everything's built into a single platform. All you care about is what you see on the front end. We take care of the back end. Backed is the digital wallet of the future, empowering you to manage all of your digital assets from a single place. Back puts the power in your hands to get your crypto, loyalty and rewards points and gift cards together to choose how you want to use them. Treat your digital assets just like cash and convert, send or spend them using Back. Get started today and get it together with Back. Available for download now in the App Store and Google Play Store. And I also want to take a moment to thank Kraken, the cryptocurrency exchange. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Whether it's your first trade or your 100th, Kraken has the tools to help you hit your financial goals in crypto. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week, and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit Kraken.com now to learn more. In the midst of all this mania surrounding retail trading and the outages we've seen tied to stocks, or not necessarily outages, but the halts in trading we've seen tied to stocks like GameStop and the like, tied to Wall Street bets, and then, of course, the regulatory backlash we've seen from that. Is this stuff you expected, Tom? Is, and, and, and what do you make of folks kind of maybe pointing the fingers at payment for order flow and firms like Citadel, which you just so, mentioned? I'm a, huge, I'm a huge proponent and believer in payment for order flow. It allows retail investors to do what they can do at very low prices with great technology. The exchanges in America rip off customers blindly. And without, if we had to route orders to exchanges directly without the competition created by high-frequency liquidity providers, there'd be no ability for individual investors to trade and commissions would be five to 10 times what they are today. The whole concept of payment for order flow works beautifully. And people just, it's very misunderstood because it sounds bad, but it actually works great. And it allows us, to, again, to build great technology, and to lower customer um, costs. And it lowers our dev costs so we can focus on, on building much better front-end technology. It, everybody wins. And then, not to mention price improvement and competitive markets and everything else. So that had nothing, you know, that's one separate issue. If you want to talk about the, um, you know, front-end technology and how well it held up during some of those crazy moves, you know, that's more a question that you'd have to ask Robinhood. You know, reputationally, they failed at a key time. And when you're in this business, you have to be up and running at key times. And a lot of the big firms, Fidelity failed, you know, TD failed, um, Schwab failed. A lot of firms just couldn't handle the huge volume. And, you know, that's on, that's on all those firms. You have to be able to handle, you know, two, three, five, you know, 10x of, you know, what your normal traffic is. But that's not a systemic problem. That's not something that's wrong with the exchanges or wrong with the high frequency liquidity providers or anything else. You know, I mean, Citadel was there along with every other high frequency firm and they were making markets through that whole thing and good markets and they never backed off once. And I'm sure they were getting killed too. 
You know, I mean, my guess is they got run over worse than you can imagine. And every high frequency firm got run over because there's no way to hedge those positions. But they were there making markets. They never backed off. In addition to sort of the tech outages, there were questions of, you know, whether or not the underpinning system in terms of collateral, in terms of T plus two settlement, all that has kind of been turned on its head. Is, Is it as the co-founder and CEO of Robinhood has put it, is the system broken aside from PFOF, as they call it? Yeah. Is the actual underpinning settlement system broken? It is, it is to a certain extent, but that's not on Robinhood. Okay, that's, and I listened to Vlad and all the stuff he said, and, you know, listen, Robinhood messed up because they couldn't handle the moment, but he's right that the system is, to a certain extent, the system's broken. But that's on regulators that refuse to make changes, and that's on exchanges that refuse to push the regulators to make those changes. Every single exchange in America knew that there's issues out there with settlement, except on the future side. But on the option exchanges and on the stock exchanges, everybody understands that the settlement process is old, it's messed up, and it needs to be changed. And the regulators sat on their asses and have done nothing with respect to it because they've been too nervous about kind of upending the legacy clearing software, you know, the sun guards of the world and everybody else that's out there in the middleware piece that, that, that services the clearing side. So the system, yeah, I wouldn't say it's broken. I'm saying, I would say that it was exposed and I don't blame you know, the brokerage firms for that at all. I don't blame Robin. The only thing I blame Robinhood for is not being ready for the moment. But most of the firms like Tasty and most of the other firms, we were fine. The, the problem was that the regulators have been asleep at the wheel for two decades and the exchanges, even more so than the regulators, the exchanges have what I call a responsibility, not a fiduciary responsibility, a responsibility to honor and protect retail investors. And they have never stepped up to do that. They've always sucked up to their to their institutional clients. And the retail investors are what make the world go around. And they need to respect that fact and they need to get, you know, listen, it's not that hard to move to same day or next day settlement. And then all the problems go away. Mm. It's interesting to think about the role of the retail investor in this market juxtaposed with with what's happening in crypto, which is now becoming more institutionalized. I'd be curious, like, what what you're thinking there is, Ed. Like, you've seen this transformation happen before your eyes as as the steward of uh, CTX, Zero Hash. The retail person seems to be becoming less important in crypto in, in in a strange way, while it's becoming maybe more important in traditional markets. What do you what do you think about that? Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree. I mean, if you look at, for example, at the figures that are public, so if you look at, for example, the Coinbase S1, um, just if you said, okay, Coinbase is purely going to follow the money, 95% of their revenue comes from retail. Um, I also think when you look at what Tasty and others are doing and what Zero Hash enables, Zero Hash ultimately enables competition in the space for retail investors in the sense that essentially any group can offer digital assets without the need to build out complex tech on the back end and without the need to be regulated. And that ultimately drives competition. Um, And that competition, I think, is good. You know, Tom's got his views on what makes a good 
uh, a good market, what makes a good front end. And he may well be right. Um, you know, time has shown that he, he is right a lot of the time. But ultimately, what we provide is the ability for people to innovate with a very low barrier to entry. And that's the, what regulation does. Is regulation makes it very difficult to get an MVP, as people call it, because you have to spend millions of dollars and you have to mm. kind of, um, you know, you have to be regulated. And that, that takes time, energy and money. We ultimately allow people to innovate in a very low cost way um, and without, um, you know, adding on an additional layer of, of cost and overhead. And that, I think, will bring a lot of benefits to the, to the retail space. I mean, if you're a U.S. customer today, a U.S. retail customer, you don't have that many places to go right now, right? You have Coinbase, you have Kraken, but where else? And if you truly buy into the vision that crypto is a part of people's portfolio, I think even the most bullish people say that crypto is a part of the portfolio. I don't think you find many crypto maximalists who believe you should hold everything in crypto. And so if you buy into the vision, you know, let's say 10% of your wealth should be in digital assets. Then what about the other 90%? And by allowing groups that already offer these products, allowing neobanks that already offer different products and putting crypto side by side, it opens up accessibility. And that's what, you know, we're excited about. And we think that will benefit the retail investor in the United States. Yeah, I always feel like there's also an appeal of having multiple things, to your point, side by side, right? Like how many people who are on Kraken or who are on Coinbase aren't trading options or aren't aping into, um, you know, some of these Wall Street bet stocks. They are. They most definitely are. That's why, they're. you know, we see it in the readership um, here at the block. Like the, the folks that are interested in what's happening in some of these names are interested in crypto. So I, I, I kind of want to get your perspective, both of you guys, on like, at what point does Coinbase need to kind of step over into Tastyworks lane and offer options? Or when does Kraken need to wade into the waters of Fidelity and offer support on inverse ETFs, volatility ETFs, or whatever have you? Like, when does that happen? And is that uh, part of the natural progression of things? I mean, I'll, I'll take it. it. In my opinion, sure. I mean, if I was Coinbase, I would have, you know, gone there already. Been, I'm, I'm sure they are already thinking about it, but I would have already gone there. The problem that Coinbase has, and I shouldn't really say it's their problem because they're a hundred billion dollar company based on their own, you know, <laughs> based on what they said they're worth. But um, uh, the problem they're going to have is that right now they're living in a, um, they're living inside their own little regulatory world, but they're not living inside of, you know, the SEC world and the FINRA world. And as soon as you open up the, you know, the floodgates to a whole different set of two different sets of regulators from the future side and from the security side, um, they're in for, you know, they're going to go, you know, they're in their own little world right now and they like it. But if they get in the world with everybody else, you know, the biggest risk for Coinbase Listen, it's really pretty simple. They should get into other businesses. There's no question about it. They need to diversify their um, their businesses. But the downside to it is right now they're making one percent. And you know what they make on you know what they make on stock if they get into that business? They'll make one. They'll make literally one one hundredth of one percent. That I mean, we're talking about ten to fifteen bips on payment for order flow for stock. We lose money by doing it for free. So here's the risk for Coinbase. Customer comes in, lots of small accounts. Customer comes in, deposits 
you know, $1,000. They buy $1,000 worth of Bitcoin, right? They end up unleveraged. They make $10 on that one customer, on that one purchase. On the buy, they make $10 on the sale. They make 20 bucks. The same customer comes in and buys $1,000 worth of stock and then sells $1,000 worth of stock with that same $1,000. They make 20 cents. So they go from $20 to 20 cents. They just cannibalize their own model by $19.80. And it's not even their expertise. So they got to pay a huge marketing fee to go out and get those customers. And where they don't have the expertise, they don't have the technology. It doesn't sound worth it at all. Yeah, but the problem is the problem is that guys like us are going to come along. And right now, we're happy to get the commissions and charge, you know, the 1%. But if I think I can make it, if I think I can do damage to Coinbase, I think I can hurt Coinbase more than they can hurt me. So if I think I can do damage to Coinbase in the sense, what I mean by that is if I think I can build up our business at their expense. So I'm happy to cut my, to cut my margins on, on uh, digital assets by 50 to 80% if I have to, if it means bringing another 100,000 users that'll trade all the other products that we offer. So as we expand, and it's not just me, it's going to be Interactive Brokers, it's going to be TD Ameritrade, it's going to be Schwab, it's going to be Fidelity, it's going to be E-Trade. And as soon as all these firms come in, okay, they're all going to say that, they're going to say, listen, we'll do this for 20 bips. Screw the 100 bips. We'll do it for 20 bips. And then all of a sudden, Coinbase is sitting there, you know, holding their you-know-what. And... You know, eventually we'll charge the liquidity providers for, for routing them order flow. You, you know, it'll be, it'll be the same thing because because as soon as Citadel starts so making markets. Ed, is that what folks you're talking to are thinking? Like, what, is the logic similar to Tom's? Like, you know, we can undercut what Coinbase is doing and then get, you know, 50,000. Well, it's not undercut. It's going, after, it's going after a bigger share of the pie. We want those customers. We want those 10 million customers. I don't really care about the crypto business. I care about all the other business. Yeah. Is that the, th- is that the thinking that's out there? Yeah. I mean, I, I think what it is, is people want to keep assets in the system. Um, people want to keep eyeballs on the system. And so where crypto is particularly good is that people check their, you know, check their uh, price of crypto a lot because it's very volatile. So with the people that we're talking to in the brokerage space, are they crypto acolytes? Some are, most are not. But the way that they view crypto is, look, our customers are asking for it. We can make good spreads on it. But ultimately, if we don't have it, clients are going to go elsewhere. And the cost of acquisition of a customer is pretty high. And so if you can use crypto to hook customers in, um, you know, that's a great, that's a great product. Um, and so that's, that's what, that's what we're seeing. I mean, when, with the brokers that we're talking to and, you know, tasty crypto is not going to be, you know, it's it, in a good world, it'd be, you know, 20, 25% of the overall revenue. Um, you know, that's talking really good. Is that about right, Tom? Like best case scenario, 20%? I think in the best case scenario, Tom. Of our revenue? Over, no, Best no. We're, we're in the crypto world right now. We're probably looking at three, maybe three, four percent of revenue. Okay, so you're more. That's more on the conservative side. But best case, twenty percent. Yeah, yeah. Let's just say, even if even if you say it's five percent, um, you know, where, where people where, where people are interested in is that 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 five percent one is that um people it, it attracts customers and two it keeps customers sticky with you. So rather than a customer making, say, say that they traded GameStop um, and then they say, OK, I'm going to go buy Bitcoin now, um, you know, that they've now left your system to keep eyeballs on your system. 
um, you know, to keep opens. This is what this is what brokers are tracking. Um, and that's what crypto allows you to do is it allows you to have an all in one product so the client doesn't go elsewhere and it keeps act clients active. And the more active clients are, the more money you may you make on on auxiliary services or um, by trading other assets. And that's really the motivation for broker dealers. It's not like this is going to, you know, make them an extra 50 percent of revenue. You know, in Tom saying four or five percent, you know, some some groups say 20 percent. That, that sometimes isn't enough for somebody Um but but it's all these other value adds that that's driving people into the crypto space rather than just the pure revenue generation. Tom, do you want to weigh in on that? Well, he's Edward's spot on. I mean, you know, uh, it, there's I don't want a customer leaving us to trade anywhere else under any circumstances. And I feel like, you know, we we as long as we offer the complete package between content rates and technology and all products, nobody ever has to go anywhere else. And, the, you know, eventually, listen, we're not going to stop there. Eventually, you know, there's going to be, you know, we're going to integrate um, Neobank or Challenger Bank, um, different kinds of, you know, those products as well so that we don't even lose what about, them. What about, you know, crypto options, crypto derivatives? Well, the problem, we would love to have crypto derivatives, but they don't exist right now in the U.S. So in the cash marketplace, you can't do anything with crypto um, from the short side. You can't do anything with, you know, with the options. Um, we do plan to launch. Um, we own an exchange in the U.S. called uh, the Small Exchange and uh, or one of the owners of the Small Exchange. And we do plan to launch crypto on the Small Exchange along with crypto options. So we'll have an exchange traded product, which is levered and a cash product, which is, you know, not levered. Gotcha. This was a really, I'm, I'm not surprised, but this was a really interesting, all encompassing conversations. I want, I want to make sure I got everything out of you guys that I could have. Is there anything <laughs> you're noticing in markets right now that you want to unpack before we close out the conversation? Edward, do you want to go? Or you want me to go? Edward, what's sizzling these days? Within this space? I don't know, Tom. I mean, for me, what crypto has done is it has, and for what my relationship with Zero Hash has done, because I've learned a lot from working with Edward now for the last you know six or eight months, um, what it's done for me is it's, it's opened the door to something that I believed has always been there, which is alternative assets, which I believe over the course of the next let's call it, you know, five to seven years are going to grow exponentially. And what that means is physical products. What that means is potentially um, political products like, you know, binary political events, um, um, moving it to a listed marketplace. What, what it means is potentially, you know, integrating sports, politics, event-based trading, along with um, cash markets into into front-end brokerage platforms. And I think the trend is unstoppable because I don't believe that, you know, I do, I'm sorry, I believe that customers, just like as we saw in the 2020 election cycle, they would have loved to play the 2020 elections along with different commodities, different stock indexes, along with, you know, crypto, along with everything else. And I think that it's inevitable that now that we can integrate, you know, um, alternative assets into a single platform, that we can basically offer everything. And I think that's really exciting. And that's why the future yeah. looks so bright. I think dovetailing on that, I mean, linking that back to, you know, digital assets, 
is, for example, a lot of these alts that Tom's talking about, you know, digital assets, digital representations of them already exist or will exist. So, you know, for example, in the last week, we've seen the launch of uh, tokenized yen or tokenized dollar from GMO. We've seen tokenized gold from Paxos. We've seen tokenized silver. We've seen tokenized diamonds. And, you know, that's just the start of these kind of alternative assets. And I think that is where you're, that's where I think that a lot of innovation will come from, from the tokenization sure. space, and, you know, tying that back into Tom's point about, you know, the keenness of clients to trade alts, potentially what they're actually trading on alternative assets are alternative, you know, the alternatives actually tokenized representations of them. And I think that is a really interesting intersection of our two worlds. You're seeing it right now with, you know, with Jack Dorsey offering, you know, the first tweet out and, and sports, you know, um, uh, we're, 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 we're just, yeah, we're just starting to see the tip of the iceberg of what I call alternative assets. You know, Edward, um, has taken zero hash down the path of, of digital assets right now because Bitcoin is what everybody wants to trade. And then there's obviously a series of, you know, 20, 30, 40 other coins out there. But that is the tip of the iceberg for his business. You know, that's how Apple started. That's how, that's just think of when, how Citadel started and, and these firms, you know, they, they start, they start as um, executing orders and creating a marketplace. And then it just, you know, you just it starts to expand into other products and you go from you know options into stocks and then you go from stocks into futures and then from futures into futures options and then you move into the world of digital assets you know there's it's and then and then like you could be like Cantor Fitzgerald and move into the world of sports gambling you know it doesn't making a market and eventually commoditizing that market is as long as there's enough retail flow you asked the question earlier about people moving into the institutional space. It's not that doesn't work like that because in order for products to survive, they have to have retail flow. It's like, imagine going sitting down at a poker table with all professionals. Nobody plays against each other. They just sit there and wait for, you know, wait for somebody like me to show up. So you need, you need retail players, you need customers. And, and that's what we bring to the table customers. And we shall see. Um, maybe one day we'll, we'll be, having this conversation talking about how uh, zero hash is supporting who knows what kind of non-fungible tokens on tasty work and to, and, and we'll have that conversation oh um, I, I there's no doubt in my mind no doubt in my mind yeah yeah I mean I mean this kind of goes down a rabbit hole and um, it, it speaks to some of the initiatives of intercontinental exchange I mean you had Jeff Sprecker approaching eBay in a deal. This was like a year ago, but it, it, it speaks to your point, Tom, which is markets are markets. And at the end of the day, um, you know, whether it's digital asset enabled or supported, there's going to be a future where brokerages sitting on the front end are going to be supporting all sorts of different types of markets. And I think that's the point you're making yeah. and, and sort of make this underpinning thesis that's driven a lot of what you guys have done. And we'll continue to have this conversation. It's it's an interesting one. But gentlemen, thank you. Edward Woodford at Zero Hash, Tom Sosnoff at Tasty Works and Tasty Trade. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope to talk to you guys again soon. This was this was thrilling. Thanks so much. Thank you.